0: Good morning and welcome to week number four of our series called God of the Underdogs. This is a a series that we've been focusing on the reality that in life we all at some level feel like underdogs and sometimes the underdog mentality causes us to lean into some excuses that would keep us from achieving some dreams maybe that, that God's placed in our hearts or feeling successful in whatever roles that we play and so we're trying to um, kind of come against some of these excuses that we lean into and understand that God loves underdogs and he fights for us even when we aren't the biggest and we aren't the best and we aren't the most talented and we don't have the most resources that there's a God in heaven who has used for hundreds and hundreds of years underdogs and people unqualified to be used by him and that's an encouragement uh, to all of us to do that I want to take a few moments and kind of review where we've been the last couple of weeks we started this series in week number one talking about the life of Jacob in the Old Testament and we Looked at the fact that Jacob from birth was labeled as a deceiver. And we talked about the fact that in life, sometimes we feel labeled and we allow those labels to dictate our actions and our attitudes and our motives. Uh, but we talked about the fact that God loves underdogs and he uses us and he's the only one that's allowed to label us, even when others say things that may be true against us. The second week, we looked at the life of Gideon and we looked at the fact that Gideon was facing a task that God called him to where the odds were in stack against him completely that that he was facing a completely impossible situation but through God using him in some incredible ways he saw God do some awesome things last week we looked at the life of David King David in the Old Testament And we looked at the beginning of his journey uh, where he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. And we talked about the fact that he was completely unqualified to be the king of the nation of Israel. So much so that his father didn't even invite him to the meeting where the prophet was going to choose a king. And we talked about the fact that in life we are unqualified for certain things that God calls us to, but this qualification uh, isn't a dictator of how God wants to use us. See, God doesn't always call the qualified, but rather he qualifies the called. And so we talked about making sure that we don't allow um, things that disqualify us in our eyes from being used of God uh, to keep us from pursuing his will for our lives. And today we're going to talk about... um, Uh, someone who you may not think of as an underdog is someone that I don't think of as an underdog. But before we do, just let me say this. So many times in life, if we're honest with ourselves enough to admit it, we are underdogs on some levels. That There's always someone who's more qualified than us. There's someone that's more talented than us. That somewhere in this world, even in our community, there are people who would be better suited to do things that we feel like we're called to do. Okay, And with that mentality, uh, we don't like to admit it sometimes because we want to pretend and we want to try to put a facade up that that we're better than we are, that we have things together more than we do. Uh, But the truth is, is we are all underdogs on some levels. Now, the thing about being an underdog is that if you're an underdog long enough, you begin to enjoy being an underdog. And what I mean by that is if you're the best at what you do, then people only expect the best from you, right? So when you aren't the best, what do you feel? You feel like you're a failure and so do other people. But when you're an underdog, there's a comfort in the fact that you're not supposed to be the best, that you're not supposed to win, that you're not supposed to come out on top. And sometimes when we get used to being an underdog, we tend to lean into that and we find comfort in that. And the reason we find comfort in that is because if we fail at something, well, we were supposed to. There's no pressure on us to do anything great. There's no pressure on us to succeed at anything in life because we're an underdog. We have excuses why we shouldn't be successful. And so those excuses are what limit us from achieving what God's called us to. And and they limit us from experiencing God's very best for our lives. And so the hope for this series is that we would take the excuses that we lean into as underdogs, that we take comfort in, that that we hide behind, that, that we kind of put out there to cover us in the event that we're failures or we're not successful at certain events in life. And the goal is to stop hiding behind those excuses. Stop pretending that the things that we feel limit us from being successful in life limit God from using us because they don't. And we've looked at three characters in the Old Testament already. Today we're going to look at another that just reminds us that even when we aren't at our best, God is willing to use us. And uh, it's it's an encouragement for us all that no matter where we are in life, um, God loves us. Underdogs, and he's fighting for us, and he longs to use us. Now, we're going to look at an underdog today that, when we look at the scope of who he is and what he's done, we don't really think of him as an underdog. His name was Moses. Okay, Moses was outside of Jesus, the greatest pastor, really, that we find in Scripture. It was Moses that led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and slavery um, into the promised land. Millions of people he led. He pastored millions of people. Um, Not only did he lead them out of slavery, but he saw some incredibly cool miracles along the way. I mean, this was a man that stretched a staff out over the Red Sea and it parted, and they walked across on dry land and they got to the other side. And as the Egyptians were pursuing him, he stretched his staff back out, and the waters came and destroyed their enemies. I mean, Come on, this is a man that saw some incredible things. He saw God provide food for the millions of people daily through a miraculous provision called manna. And then he later saw God provide so much quail that the children of Israel couldn't even collect it all. I mean, this was a man that saw some incredible things. He he hit a rock at one point with his staff and water came out because they needed water. I mean, when I look at Moses... And I look at his life, my initial thought isn't to think this is an underdog. My initial thought is to think this is the best of the best. I mean, this was a man who saw some incredible things. But when we rewind and we look at the beginning of his story, it kind of opens our eyes to understand that everything that we know Moses for could have been limited by everything he thought about himself from the very beginning. And like him, many of us face the same feelings that he had. And those are feelings of insecurity. That when God first called him to do this historic task, this monumental feat, this assignment that could only have come from heaven, he initially resisted it because he didn't feel like he had what it took and he was insecure about himself. And we're going to look at some reasons that he felt insecure about himself. And so I'm going to read a little bit of scripture if that's okay with you. Uh, The second book in your Bible is the book of Exodus and we're going to start reading in uh, chapter number three about the life of Moses. Let me tell you a little bit about the beginning of his life before we get to chapter number three. Uh, Moses came onto the scene uh, during the time when the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, were in slavery in Egypt. Uh, And God had blessed the children of Israel so much so that even though they were in slavery, they had become incredibly numerous. God had prospered them, uh, and and they had... um, they had almost overtaken the nation so much so that the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, began to feel intimidated by the children of Israel, and so he began to command the midwives, the ladies that would help the women give birth during that day. He would he commanded them that if they noticed when the baby was being born that it was a boy, that they were to kill that child. That's how much the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, was intimidated by the children of Israel. He didn't want them to continue to prosper and grow, and the midwives refused to do it because they loved their people. He got angry with them and then he commanded all of his people, if you see a, a boy under the age of two, you're to kill him. This is the time when Moses was born. And Moses' mother loved him enough and felt like he had such a special calling on his life that uh, she didn't want him to be found and killed by the Egyptians. And so um, after nursing him for some time, she put him into a basket and put him in the Nile River. And he came down to um, the princess, the the king's daughter, found him there in the Nile River and rescued him. And because of this act, he basically grew up in the king's home. He grew up in royalty when he shouldn't have even been allowed to exist. But uh, he experienced some things later in life that... Felt like an injustice to him. See, he knew his history. He knew that he was actually a Hebrew, even though he was raised as an Egyptian. And he began to see his people in slavery and the injustice that it was. And one day he saw one of his Hebrew men being beaten and tortured by an Egyptian slave master. He got so angry that he went and killed the Egyptian, and he buried him in the sand, and he thought that no one would know about it. But a few days later, as he saw two Hebrews arguing together, he came and said, why are you arguing with one another? You're both Hebrews. And they said, well, what are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And he knew in that moment that people knew what he did. And word had gotten back to the Pharaoh, and his life was on the line. And so, like like, like any of us would have when we felt like our life was threatened, he fled and he left. He found himself in the company of a man named Jethro. He had married his daughter, Zipporah, and he was a shepherd for him. He watched this man's uh, sheep, his flocks, his herd. That's what he did for a living. So, so he went from his life being in jeopardy to being raised in royalty uh, to fearing his life so much that he fled and was living as a shepherd. And He, in my mind, thought that that would be the extent of his life. He never expected to go back to that land and that's where we find him as we pick up chapter number three. Exodus chapter three, verse one says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian and led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush and Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now it wouldn't be uh, uncommon in this day and age in this desert for a bush to catch on fire but the uncommon thing was that the bush was on fire but it didn't it wasn't consumed it kept burning and it caught his eye and he noticed there's something strange about that bush that isn't being consumed it keeps burning so he thought to himself i will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up and when the lord saw that he had gone over to look god called to him from within the bush moses moses now this was kind of the beginning of his miraculous journey This is a man who had seen bushes on fire before, but never one that wasn't consumed. And as he approached this bush, God speaks to him from within the fire in the bush. Imagine approaching a burning bush and you hear, Moses, Moses. I mean, just the enthrallment that that would bring to your life and the fear and, and just the awestruckness that he would be facing. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He had heard of the God of the Hebrews. He he was living in a, a priest's home. He married a priest's daughter. He knew of God. He knew God. But this would probably be the first time that he had spoken to God in this way, directly hearing the voice of God through a burning bush. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people." In Egypt, I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go; I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people. The Israelites out of Egypt. Now, as if it's not enough, as if it's not enough to hear God speak to you from a bush that's not being consumed by fire, what you hear God say, or what Moses heard God say, was you remember the place that you left because you feared your life? You remember your people that were enslaved, they were oppressed, they were mistreated. Those people are crying out to me. I've heard their cries, and I'm going to set them free. And what I want you to do, Moses, is to return to that land and set my people free. Now, many of us, I would venture to say, if we hear God's voice audibly tell us to do something, our first inclination would be to obey. (laughs) Yes, sir. You got it. But when God is asking him to do something that completely opposes everything that he's done in life, it's difficult for him to comprehend. It's difficult. He feels insecure about himself, and so he gives these four excuses to God, these four reasons why he shouldn't be the one to do this task. And these four excuses represent insecurities in himself because of his past and because of his present And he feels as though, God, you may have just found the wrong shepherd wandering out here. There's probably someone else out here that you're looking for. And I want us to look at these four excuses, these four uh, misrepresentations that um, allow him to feel insecure, so much so that he doesn't feel as though he can do what God's called him to do. Listen to the first thing that he says in verse number 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I to do this task? Do you not understand that my status isn't so great back there? I killed one of the Egyptians, and the Pharaoh wants me dead. That's why I'm here. You know, you found me out here, wandering in the fields in the desert, guarding the flocks. I'm here because I left there because they were going to kill me. Of all people that you want to go there and set your people free, it probably shouldn't be someone who has the status of a murderer. Someone who is at odds with the people that you want to release your people. I mean, there is someone who has better standing, has better status, who is better connected than me, God. So just so you know, I'm probably not the one. Why me? Have you ever asked yourself, why me? Do I have what it takes? There's someone that has a better status than me. So many times we find ourselves in positions where we have opportunities ahead of us, but we tend to hide behind this truth many times that we're not best suited for that task. Because of our past, because of our situations presently, there's probably someone else that has a better status, has a better standing, and would be better representative of God in that situation. So many times I find myself just feeling as though God of all the people that you could have called to do these things, why me? Like who am I that you would ask me to do things that you've asked me to do in life? And if you've ever, if you've ever felt insecure because of your status, if you've ever felt insecure because of your past and your history, if you've ever felt insecure because you know that there are other people that would be better suited to do what God's called you to do, that I want you today to take courage. And I want you to understand the fact that God knew who Moses was when he called him. That God wasn't like, oh, (laughs) I overlooked the fact that, yeah, you did kill an Egyptian. You're probably not best suited to go back there. Maybe I should find someone else. He knew exactly who Moses was. And even though he was who he was, He still called him. And you need to know today that if you feel called to do something, then God isn't blinded to anything in your life, to who you are and to what you've done. He knows exactly who you are. And if he's called you to do something, it's because he's chosen you to do something in spite of yourself, in spite of the truth that you're probably not the best choice. We look at Jesus and his disciples in the New Testament, and of all the disciples that he could have chosen, he chose men that most of us probably wouldn't have chosen to be our closest followers. God loves underdogs. He loves to redeem people. He loves to take people who have a status that would limit them and use them in spite of that status. And we see that he does that to Moses. And so listen to his response to Moses here. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. he says, you're going to return to this mountain. That's going to be a sign. There's going to come a day where you're going to lead the people. They're going to be back to this mountain, Mount Horeb. And you're going to know then that it's a sign from me that I have chosen you. Moses says to God, here's excuse number two. The second reason that he feels insecure to do what God's called him to do. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? What should I tell them? Suppose I return, okay, let's just say hypothetically, God, that I do what you're asking me to do. And I go to the Israelites, and I say to them, God has sent me to set you free. I've come to lead you out of slavery. I've come to deliver you. I'm here to save the day. It's me that God's chosen. And suppose I do, who's to say that they're going to believe that I actually have heard from you on this? What evidence do I have that's going to compel them to listen to me? Like, what is it about the words that I'm going to say to them that's going to cause them to jump on board and say, yeah, you who killed an Egyptian and you fled and you've been living away from us. Out of fear, you've come back to rescue us. Okay, sure. What's the plan? What, what, what's the evidence? Have you ever felt like, like there's a lack of clarity, a lack of evidence, a lack of motivation for people to get behind you and doing what God's called you to do? Like, have you ever felt like when you're trying to lead people, when you're trying to do something, that you need a legitimate reason for people to follow you? And you do. It's true. People don't just follow random people. They follow people they believe in. I'll never forget my first job in ministry. i just graduated from college, May of uh, 2002, started a month later in June as a student pastor at a church over in Athens. Up until that point, everything had gone smoothly in my process to be employed by that church. I went to one interview. Things went so well, they offered me a job the next day. It was supposed to be a part-time job that I was applying for. They offered me a full-time job. Everything seemed great. I had met a few people. I liked the people I had met and I thought this is going to be the most fun that I've ever had. I grew up in a student ministry. I loved student ministry and I thought this is my heart and I'm going to just jump in here and things are going to be great. It's my first day on the job, the first Sunday I ever attended that church as the pastor of students. And after The worship service that day, the pastor says, oh, by the way, I need you to come to a meeting with me. And, um, you know, it's just something we need to talk through with a parent. And uh, it'll be a good opportunity for you to meet them. And I thought, this is great. get to meet, you know, a parent. I go to this meeting. They shut the door. We're in a conference room. I sit down, and there's tension in the room. You ever been to a room, and you're just like, there's tension here. What's wrong? What's happened? I sit down in the seat. I pull up to the table, and I look around. There's five or six people in the room. And no one's really making eye contact, and I can just tell something's wrong. And so the pastor says to this gentleman, go ahead and share your concerns. Now, little did I know that in the month before I came to this church, this gentleman's daughter had been inappropriately touched by an older student. Uh, He had led her into a private area of the building, and uh, was found inappropriately touching her okay if you're a dad it's not a great situation especially in a church that's supposed to be a safe place right and so he shares his concern he shares to me what has happened and then in this meeting with people who I'm assuming would have handled this already he looks directly at me and says so so now this is your position you're leading our students right yes sir What are you going to do to make sure that my daughter never gets in this situation again? (laughs) And I immediately went from, oh, first day on the job, this is awesome, to kind of like, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And I kind of made up something on the spot that made him happy enough not to strangle me, and I felt like that was my first successful day on the job. But the truth is, the truth is, in that moment, There was so much insecurity in my life and in my position. As a 22-year-old fresh out of college, I felt like, man, I am in over my head. I did not know what I was getting into. I thought that I had everything together and I thought things were going to go smooth. And here I am, thrown into the midst of chaos on my first day on the job, and I don't have the answers. I don't know. I haven't even thought about this. I've never thought about what I'm going to do to ensure that all students in the facility at all times are going to be safe and never touched inappropriately. I've never thought about it, to be honest with you, sir. I didn't tell him that. never told him that. But in that moment, I felt as though maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Maybe someone else would have been better suited. Maybe someone with more experience and better training Maybe there was someone else that would have been a better choice for this position. And I just remember going home with this overwhelming sense of, I don't know that I have what it takes. And that's what Moses was feeling here. He was saying, God, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. But why in the world would they even believe me when I go back? What evidence do I have to give them to make them confident that I'm the one that you've chosen to lead them out of slavery. And listen to what God says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's real comforting. I am sent me. God sent me. I'm here. I guess that's all I need. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name Forever the name by which I am remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey." Just tell the people, be honest and say, God's heard your misery. He knows that you're crying out to him. He knows how miserable you are in your condition. And he's promised that he's going to lead you into a new land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey, a land that's prosperous and far from what you've been experiencing. Verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So you will plunder the Egyptians. This insecurity that caused him to say, why in the world would they even want to follow me, was answered with a resounding plan. Okay, I'm not sending you there blindly just to figure things out. Here's what's going to happen. Now, he's still talking to a burning bush, okay? He's still hearing all this coming as a voice, an audible voice out of a bush that's not being consumed on fire. And at this point, you think... All right, Moses, this is it. That's enough, right? It's enough for you to take the step and say, okay, I'll go. But it's not, because Moses isn't the most confident person. And though we read about all the great feats that he did, he is insecure in himself, and that wasn't enough for him. And so listen to what he says next. Chapter 4, verse number 1. Moses answered, What if they did not believe me or listen to me when I say the Lord did not appear to you. What if they do not believe me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Here it is again. This lack of evidence, this lack of credibility. He feels as though, I still don't have all the tools that I need to be successful. I still don't have everything that I need to present to them to give them compelling evidence enough to believe that I'm with you. Can you just sense the insecurity? Have you ever been around someone who is just completely insecure? And it's like they want to just find every reason not to be successful in life. That they just, they see themselves for their flaws. They see themselves for their shortcomings. The only things they see in themselves are the negative side of people's reaction to them. And Moses, though, he's talking to God in a burning bush, which no one had ever done before, is simply saying to God, "I I still don't get it it shouldn't be me. Like, I'm going to go and this plan sounds great and stuff, but they still, they're not going to believe me. And what if they say to me, the Lord did not appear to you? What if they call me? What, What if they accuse me of making something up? What if they don't trust me? And this is wild. listen to what God responds and says. The Lord said, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Okay, this is... It's getting crazy. This is the life of Moses. He ran from it. And the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. That's enough for me. I mean you got a stick in your hand, and God says, throw it in the ground. You do it, and it becomes a snake, and you're like, whoa. And he says, grab it by the tail, and you do it, and it becomes a stick again. You're like, okay, I'm dealing with someone who's pretty powerful here. Never seen anything like this. I've never done anything like this, and I know that I can't do anything like this. God's probably with me. I should probably go. But if that's not enough, the Lord said, verse number six, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. He puts his hand in his cloak. He comes out. He's got a skin disease on his hand. Now, put it back in your cloak, he said to Moses. Put it back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If it's not enough for me to turn a stick into a snake and back into a stick, I'll turn your hand leprous, and then I'll turn it back normal. Okay, Most people can't do that, and they'll probably believe that you probably have really heard from God and that I'm really with you. And then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground and the water that you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Okay. If the first two aren't enough to convince them, then I'll turn water into blood. You can just pour it out and it'll be like blood all over the ground. Okay? He's giving him everything that he needs to be secure in him. He's saying, I am with you. You've never seen anything like this, but I am with you. And you can take confidence in the fact that I am with you. But listen to this. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I don't have the right status. I don't have the credibility. There's no evidence that I can present to them. And if that's not enough, I hear you've answered all my questions, but... I can't talk well. Moses was a stutterer. He wasn't eloquent. He couldn't stand in front of a group of people and speak clearly. He had a speech impediment of any reason to lead people and to go and say to someone, let my people go. It would probably be someone that could speak well, right? And Moses says, hey, I'm not that guy okay? It's all great. The plan sounds great. It's really cool that the stick turned into a snake and back and all that stuff. I'm glad that I'm getting to hear you speak out of the fire in this burning bush. It's been a good experience, but really, I can't speak well. (laughs) There's no way I can do this. Do you just hear the insecurity in him finding every little excuse that he can not to do what God's called him to do because he doesn't believe in himself? He has so much insecurity that all he can see are his limitations when he tries to look at what God's called him to do. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Even a personal flaw, even a legitimate handicap that would limit him from doing what God's called him to do didn't turn God away from calling him. But all Moses could see were the limitations. All he could see were the excuses. All that he could see were the things that would stop him from being successful. All that he could see was the fact that he didn't have the status Of the person in his mind that should do this job. He he didn't have the credibility of the person in his mind that should do this job. He didn't have the evidence to take with him that the person in his mind should have to do this job. And he definitely couldn't talk well enough. He had a flaw. All he saw was reasons why he shouldn't be the one to do what God's called him to do. And I don't know about you, but so many times I feel so insecure in who I am compared to what God's called me to do in the life that he's called me to live. And I find so many excuses in my own personal life that would give me reason not to do what God's called me to do, to believe that there are other people better suited. And you know what the truth of the matter is? Is that there are people better suited to do what God's called me to do. And there are people more talented. There are people that have more influence. There are people that would be a better selection for God to do what he's called me to do. But he didn't call that person to do what he called me to do. He called me to do. In the midst of everything that I see as a limitation in my life, he called me knowing that full well. So, so I'm going to leave you with two, two thoughts on what to do with your insecurities. If you're like me at all, you've got some insecurities. But there are some things that you deal with on a regular basis that hinder you from living a free life, pursuing what God's called you to do that's, that's hindering you from experiencing God's best for you because all you see when you see yourself are your limitations and you're insecure about that and you don't find security in yourself and because you don't find security in yourself it hinders you from doing everything that God's called you to do if that's you at all here's two things I'm going to leave you with number one I want you to remember that God knows you He knows you completely. He knows everything about you. Scripture says that He even knows the number of hairs on your head. There is not one thing about you, not one action, not one trait, not one talent or lack of talent, no quality that you possess that God doesn't know about. He knows you completely, and He is not limited by you. You will never, even if you tried, stop God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in this world. There's no limitation that you possess that could stop God from doing what he's going to do in the earth. And so if he knows you, and if he knows everything about you, and he sees everything that you're insecure about, and he still calls you in spite of that, you should take confidence in the fact that who you are is good enough for God. Who you are is good enough to be used by God. Why not you to accomplish something great? Why not you to be successful in life? Why not you to experience God's very best? Because your limitations can't stop him from doing that. He called you knowing full well who you are. And the second thing that you need to remember is that your imperfections cannot keep you from your destiny. Rather, they position you for it. Your limitations can never keep you from your destiny. Rather, they position you for it. If Moses was the most confident man on the face of the earth, if Moses was the most eloquent speaker, if Moses possessed all the confidence of any man before him, God would not have had a person that would rely and depend on him as much as Moses did because he would have been standing in his own strength knowing that he had the attributes and the talents and the charisma and the leadership to be able to do everything God was calling him to do. But God didn't call that person because he wanted someone that would depend on him. He wanted someone that wouldn't stand in his own strength but would stand in God's strength And you just need to take courage in the fact that your limitations will never stop you from accomplishing all that God wants you to accomplish. In fact, on the contrary, I think that your limitations position you to accomplish everything God wants. What you see as a negative trait in yourself, God may have given you to keep you from being someone that you shouldn't be. What you see as something that would hinder you from being used of God could be the very thing that God's put in your life so that you'll depend on him more and more. And so many times the most talented, the most gifted, the most charismatic, the best leaders in life are the very ones that become failures because they tend to take confidence in themselves. And we see pastors who pastor huge churches that have moral failures. We see businessmen and businesswomen. We see leaders in the community who begin to believe in themselves so much that they forget to stay focused on what they should stay focused on and that causes them in some ways to experience failure when they think that they're the very ones that experience success. Remember, your limitations can't stop you from getting to where God wants you to be. In fact, I think that they position you for that. So if you're here today, you're here today and you've ever felt insecure, you've ever felt limited, you've ever felt like you're not the best choice, congratulations, you're correct. There's always someone more talented. There's always someone more qualified. My hands up. I am the least qualified of all of us in the room. But in spite of that, God still chose you knowing that. He knows who you are and he still chose you. And you can take confidence in the fact that your limitations position you from experiencing his very best in your life. The insecurity that limits you in life. It can become an excuse to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. But God wants you to know today that there is nothing about you that would keep him from allowing you to play the part that he's called you to play in his story. He loves you exactly the way you are. And though he's constantly changing us and molding us and making us more like his son, Jesus, he knows who we are and he wants to use us just the way we are. And like Moses, we can find excuses not to do everything that he's called us to in the midst of all the evidence that he gives us We need to choose to believe God and be obedient to him and allow him to use us. Our security is never found in ourselves, but it can be found in Jesus, because he became everything that we'll never become, and he's on our side, and he loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've called us to in this life. I believe that there's men and women in this room. I believe there's students in this room right now, Father, that you have an incredible plan for their life, that you desire to use them to accomplish some great things. And I pray right now that every insecurity that's possessed in this room and every limitation that we hide behind, Father, would diminish in this moment and that you would begin to speak to our hearts clearly the calling that you have for us and we'll stand firm in your strength and not in ours. And we'll take confidence in your calling and not our ability. And we'll believe you at your word that you love us for who we are and there's nothing about us that will ever limit us from achieving all that you've called us to achieve. We thank you, Father, for all that you're going to do